Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess. This evening's guest is Emily Rodriguez. She's chair of the Champaign Citizen Review Subcommittee and an administrator for CU Indivisible. Good evening, Emily. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. First, I feel like I owe you an apology. You said, and I vaguely remember, that you asked a question at the Congressional Candidate Forum that I moderated. (laughs) You said I lightly scolded. That was your phrase. Scolded you for not letting a candidate answer the question. Do you remember the context of that? And can you forgive me? No, it was... (laughs) The situation was, I felt like the, one of the candidates did not give me an answer to a question that I filed. <laughs> and so I interrupted and asked him to answer the question more fully. It was on board. And I scolded you? Well, you, not scolded. You, uh, you very politely said, uh, let's, let's hold uh, questions to the end so we have more time to you know, discuss. And there's such a huge selection of candidates. You, you had to do what you had to do. <laughs> Well, I was I was the rabble rouser, so you were in the right. I want to first get some background on you. You're a PhD student in the Department of Communications at the U of I. What do you plan to do with that degree? I'm either going to the professorate or maybe policy work. The plan right now is to uh, teach and research wherever I land, uh, probably staying in the Midwest. You are on the Citizens Review Subcommittee. What exactly is the role of this committee and what do you want to do? We are situated underneath the Human Relations Commission. Um, So we are a uh, subcommittee of the Human Relations Commission. We are tasked with the review of citizen complaints against Champaign Police Department officers. We are also tasked with improving relations between the community and the police department. The problem as I see it that I seek to work on as chair is the basic fact that black communities don't have equal access to law enforcement as white communities do. Decades of bad experiences with Champaign Police Department means that they don't have the same ease. Uh, They have more anxiety in contacting the police department when they have a problem. Let's talk about some of the steps that you want to take. One of the things you want to do is eliminate the current 30-day limitation on filing complaints. What exactly does that mean? Yeah, so right now it is not an official complaint if you file it outside of that 30-day window. Um, It's something even Chief Cobb doesn't support. He would like to see that go as well. But what I would like to do is eliminate the time window entirely. Uh, If we want to start to address old wounds from decades past, we need to be able to have an honest discussion about them. And so eliminating that time limit allows us to set broken bones that we never really set straight. One of the other things you want to do, you want to invite the complainant's participation and feedback after the process. What kind of feedback and where are we lacking in this type of process right now? Right now, we really don't get to hear from the complainant in person. So what I want to do is give the complainant an opportunity to be heard before the Lieutenant of Professional Standards presents his finding on the case. So they will be able to look the commission in the eyes and say, this is what happened to me. This is the way that I see the problem and the actions of this officer. And, and then the Lieutenant of Professional Standards will get his say, but not before. And then we'd follow up afterwards with our decision. But I really want that face-to-face opportunity. Or that could happen digitally, but yeah, I'm hearing directly from that complainant is what I want. You said the subcommittee wants to continue to lobby the Human Relations Commission in hope of the proposed changes being formally recommended to the city council. Mm -hmm. So there are layers before you can even go in front of the city council before you can implement change. Yes, on some of these things. So the last two are things that we can do on the subcommittee on our own. If we want to diversify the spaces in which we can take police complaints, that's something we can do on our own. Uh, The same thing with inviting the complainant to address the subcommittee. The first two are what we're going to need some help on, particularly from Champaign Police Department. So uh, that will be up to the Lieutenant of Professional Standards to eliminate the 30-day window. They'll need to think about how to do that best. Mediation also will likely take resources. Uh, This is something that's uh, at least in writing available on the complaint website. 
So we would think that there would be a process um, available for mediation. Nobody's officially asked for that process though. So what we would need to do from the, uh, for the city council and the human relations commission is ask for the resources that it would take to make mediation an option. I'm glad you brought up process because one of the things you want to do is humanize, quote, humanize the complaint filing process by creating an anonymous option and adding complaint filing sites. What exactly does that mean? The anonymous submission would not be treated the same way that an official complaint would be treated, but in the same way that you can report an, um, an anonymous crime tip doesn't necessarily mean have legal implications, but you're giving us more information that you might not feel, for whatever reason, able to give fully. So that wouldn't be considered the same way as an official complaint, but it would give us some background into maybe perhaps how many times this officer has received a complaint of rudeness or excessive use of force. And that's something then that the subcommittee can take into account when they make their recommendations to Chief Cobb. So next steps, are you closer to making that recommendation to the Human Relations Commission before the City Council? Or how long is this process going to take in your mind? Two immediate steps are going to be first meeting with Chief Cobb and working through what that mediation process is going to look like and get buy-in on eliminating the 30-day window. So that's step one. I want to get him on board and I want to get him the opportunity to have a back and forth about those recommendations. Second will be our upcoming meeting. It should be in a month from now where we'll talk through these recommendations. We'll work through any issues that we possibly have and we'll also have an opportunity for public participation. So we'll be able to take input for those recommendations. So then after we have feedback from the Champaign Police Department and the public, then we're going to begin to make those formal recommendations. Do you feel police departments in general are moving in the right direction towards racial equality? It's a good question. At large, I think one thing I can say for sure is that citizens are realizing that that there are problems and they are mobilizing to address those. So like getting citizen-led data on police officers, on complaints that have been filed, filing FOIA requests, cataloging uses, use of force that comes from specific officers, etc. So that alone makes me think that at least things are getting a little bit better because we have an eye on it now. But here, it's, it's really, and Champagne is what I can speak to with some expertise. I think that Chief Cobb has taken very seriously the challenge of repairing relations with the community. He was the activist choice to be instated as chief, um, particularly the Black Lives Matter wanted Chief Cobb to be chief. So I think his position is at least a part of a signal that we're moving in the right direction. Now let's talk about CU Indivisible. In your spare time, I had Cameron Rab on recently. He talked about the group and why CU Indivisible was the activism group that he chose to be a part of. There are many groups seeking change. Why CU Indivisible? Why is it important to you? I like the problems that we are interested in taking up. They are political problems, but our solutions are locally focused. So it's an opportunity to think about uh, how what's going on in D.C. is playing out here at home. And it gives me a chance to work with local groups to address those problems. So CU Immigration Forum, for example. I go to their meetings, I listen to what those problems are, and then I think, how can we help? 
how can we make this better? I think it makes me more embedded in the community. Um, it also makes me feel like I'm helping. I like the fact that we are a microphone for groups that maybe won't have it. That's the way I see it, our role in the community. Also opening up like democratic forums, so like hosting candidates, being able to hear directly from their elected officials, I think is really important and something that's uh, in short supply from our congressmen. You did something, you know what, let's talk about them right now. You did something many progressives or even moderates can't say that they have done. You got Congressman Davis to answer questions. Please tell me what you asked Congressman Davis and did he answer any of the things you asked him? My role in that conversation, uh, whenever I, I arrived at the farm, I quickly realized that the Funk family, Funk Grove Farm, they had a priority of questions that they really wanted to have answered. And number one is climate change. I wanted to see how he was directly thinking about how he could make change on that in the agricultural committee. But what I wanted to talk to him about was tariffs. I knew his response was going to be, I have great concern for the president's tariffs. So... Concern isn't something that you can find under his job description in the U.S. Constitution. So I wanted to ask him what specific steps he was going to take to protect his district. Thoughts and prayers? Did he offer thoughts and prayers? Because I feel like he does that often. Oh, he did. He did. Great concern for the tariffs. Um, I followed up. You sit on the Agricultural Committee. You are tasked with advising your colleagues on agricultural policy. How will you advise your colleagues on how to vote for this? Like You have, you have the constitutional authority to block these tariffs and restrict the president from enacting any more tariffs. That's his job as our congressman. And he refused to say anything on that. He won't commit. I've interviewed him many times, and I feel that he gets talking points first from Paul Ryan and now from, I don't even know who he gets his talk, Steve Scalise, whoever is in charge. Did you get the feeling that he was just placating anybody that was in front of him, but that was never going to change his vote? I would say some of that. The thing that I feel that I, I uncovered in that time with him was that it's not just congressional leadership that he's taking his cues from, but in a, in a large and very disturbing way, he is taking his cues from Secretary of the USDA, Sonny Perdue. So the move to censor researchers at the USDA to weaken the scientific standards that we have uh, for the agricultural census, I see Representative Davis as a key collaborator in that move. Speaking of Congressman Davis, He's taken money from companies that have helped perpetuate the opioid epidemic problem through the ways that they make, market, or distribute the drugs. CU Indivisible is asking he return the donations. We're up to almost $100,000, which you're talking about, since 2011. This particular issue has hit incredibly close to home for you. If you don't mind, if you don't mind me asking, can you please talk about why this is such a hot-button issue for you? Yeah, thank you for the question. Uh, my partner died of an overdose in March of 2018. We didn't see the epidemic as a political issue. When he was alive, uh, we, we knew that it was created by opioid manufacturers, that it was a completely man-made crisis, but we were focused on his recovery. So going to AA meetings, et cetera, being that support system, uh, When's the next chip? The next you know chip coming, etc. But yeah, when he died, I felt compelled <laughs> to hold him accountable for what he was doing. I would see him tweeting and being interviewed about the epidemic, and he was congratulating himself on what he was doing. And it struck me as as just very hypocritical. And I also felt that it was something that I just I did not have to deal with as a griever. That I should not have had to deal with as a griever. So I, I said something about it. It was enormously difficult, uh, but. I felt like I was working with a really good safety net with Paige and Cam Rab. So they took questions that I felt like I couldn't answer fully. Yes, they were a great safety net for me. First of all, I want to say I'm incredibly sorry for your loss, and I'm sorry that you had to go through that. 
What would you, as somebody who has lost somebody to this epidemic, what would you like to see Congress do in order to enact change? Hold those corporations accountable. That's bare minimum. It's not just about harm prevention, uh, which is really important. It's also about stopping the next epidemic. Something that has struck me as I, as I grieve Joe is that I'm looking at other health epidemics, right? I'm thinking, how did other groups address, say, the AIDS epidemic? And I realized that Joe is just like one person in hundreds and thousands of people that have died to so many epidemics over time. I think about the AIDS epidemic in Africa and entire sections of the country just ravaged by the disease. So in that way, I think for me, uh, with just one loss, I feel more compelled to do something about it. So that's step one, calling on Congress to do something. Let's talk about step two, which is... People like me don't have the stomach or the fortitude to run for office, Mm -hmm. but there are people out there, and you're one of those people that I could see that are passionate, intelligent, and articulate and should be running for office. These are the people that have come out of the woodwork since Trump got in power that we can actually enact change, and we need people like you. Have you ever considered running for public office? It's interesting that you ask. Yes, I'm announcing my candidacy for County Board District 8. Um, I would be taking Geraldo Rosales' seat. I'm challenging him in the primary. So have you ever run for office before? No, I was um, elected as chair of the Citizen Review Subcommittee by other people on the commission. But no, this would be my first elected position. Uh, the problem that I want to correct on the county board, my number one issue will be poverty alleviation. 20% of Champaign County is trapped beneath the poverty level. So that means that we have 40,000 taxpayers that are more worried about how to pay for groceries and uh, where their kids are going to sleep at night when they could be uh, building businesses, starting businesses, and buying homes. Meanwhile, we have 1% of all Champaign County residents that make 18 times what the rest of the 99% of Champaign County residents make. So that really matters to the county board because we are responsible for the county budget. And what that means is that we are relying on 1% of taxpayers for majority of the county's revenue. As my mom would say, we have all of our eggs in one basket. It's incredibly irresponsible. So I want to change the way that we think about the county budgets. For me, poverty alleviation is not just a social justice issue. It's a way of diversifying our tax base so we are less reliant on the 1%. It's also about expanding our economy so we're not making decisions in the anxiety of the moment when the next time the budget comes around. We can think about the long-term success of the county. So tell me about District 8. Tell me your boundaries. Let's get to that first. So University Avenue to Prospect. And then I would say about from Green Street to Wright Street. So I, I live and work completely in the 8th Congressional District. So I live in West Union Street and then take the blue line or green line to Lincoln Hall. So that's on Wright Street. You need to get signatures and you need to start the process. Mm-hmm. So when is the primary and how does this all happen? The deadline to file is going to be in December. So the first thing that I need to do is uh, get the petition signatures. I expect Chair Geraldo Rosales to throw every technicality in the book at me. So it's important to exceed the numbers of signatures that are required. It'll also be about building a team um, of people and volunteers and raising money to begin to tackle the problems that I want to tackle on the county board. Step first, I need to start, need to go door to door and talk to my neighbors about what they need, what they want in the county board. Anyone listening who lives in the 8th, what's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you? 
email, I suppose, for now. I will be starting opening up my website and Facebook page soon, but email emrodriguez9 at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess. Emily Rodriguez, it has been such a pleasure having you here tonight. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.